Let us pray together. God of the poor, friend of the weak, we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our community, our congregation gathered here this morning. We pray that your Spirit would empower us to say a fuller and deeper yes to your yes to the world in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is a day of new beginnings as we enter into the season of Advent and a brand new church year. The church year, of course, begins on the first Sunday of Advent and not on January 1. And I hope that you noticed many of the places of newness here in our congregation this morning. A new bulletin color, purple for Advent, a new banner behind me, thanks to Naomi Martin, and a new children's story by Tyler Kreider. And if you're really, really observant, you perhaps noticed that our gospel reading didn't come from Matthew anymore, as it did the whole last year, but from Mark, as it will from now on in the coming year. So our church year begins with Advent, a season that trains us to reflect and ponder and wait and prepare for the awesome mystery of Christmas, God's Advent, God's coming to our world and taking on our vulnerable human flesh in the little child of Bethlehem. And in our worship theme this Advent, we are especially noticing how the story of Jesus' birth, first and foremost, is the story of God's yes, God's own healing and saving yes to our world. Think about it. In Jesus, God steps over humanity's no to loving kindness. Our no to mutuality and sharing. Our no to fairness and to justice. Our no to seeing God's image in one another. In Jesus, God comes and disrupts messes and undoes all of our nose and makes a new future possible. In fact, in Jesus, as it says so wonderfully in 1 Corinthians 1.22, every one of God's promises is a yes. And friends, this Advent, we're also going to be paying attention to God's special invitation to Mary. God's invitation for Mary and for us to participate 
in God's yes to the world. God invites our free consent and never forces or coerces us to do anything. And in our current cultural moment, that word consent is very, very important, isn't it? God invites. God does not force or coerce Mary. God invites Mary to take her part in salvation history. Just as God invites each of us to take our own part as well. You see, the possibility that Mary just might say no to God is very, very real. Just as it is for us. But her yes, her yes to God. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Her yes makes Jesus possible in our world. And so does ours as well. So by now, I hope it's becoming clear that our whole Advent focus this year on yes has a kind of double ring to it, a double meaning. On the one hand, we are remembering God's yes to us coming to us in Jesus, and we're also desiring ourselves to say a fuller yes to God. So we begin this Advent season with an ancient prayer read for us by Annabelle from Isaiah 64, written some 2,600 years ago. I think that qualifies as an ancient prayer. And right after our reading in verses 10 and 11, the context for this prayer becomes very clear. God's people have just returned from their exile in Babylon only to find a shabby and desolate and ruined Jerusalem. And so, the prophet Isaiah gives expression to some of the earliest yearnings, the deepest longings of humanity for a Messiah. A Savior who will come down and tear open the heavens and save God's people. In a phone call with Annabelle Roth this past week, we both mentioned how we just love the way that Isaiah shows us that we don't have to get all of our spiritual ducks in a row before we pray to God. Did you notice that in this passage? Isaiah simply opens his heart wide to God, sometimes blaming God for his own wrongdoing. Did you hear that? Because you hid your face, we transgressed. Interesting. And other times in this prayer, we, Isaiah moves to this deep and intimate knowledge and understanding and communion with God. 
Oh Lord, you are our Abba, our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. So his prayer begins with bombast and ends with pathos-filled intimacy. What's important to realize here is that God does actually answer Isaiah's prayer to come down in the birth of Jesus. But not as the violent, fiery, vengeful warrior or judge that Isaiah and his people seem to be expecting. Did you hear that there? Instead, God comes to our world as the vulnerable child of an unwed mother. Born in a small village nine miles away from the center of power in Jerusalem. And into a family that will soon become refugees in Egypt. That's where and how God comes to us. In other words, God comes in ways that are bewildering and disruptive to just about everybody. In fact, divine disruption, did you see our theme today? Divine disruption becomes one of the primary themes of our Lord Jesus' ministry. In the words of his dear mother, Jesus comes to scatter the proud. To bring down the mighty from their thrones. To send the greedy empty away. And to lift up the lowly and to fill the hungry with good things. And because Jesus does all of these things, that is primarily the reason that he gets killed. Through Jesus, God comes to set things right in our world by turning it upside down. And those wonderful words come from a draft of Linda Gaiman Peachy's D-Men thesis that I had the chance to read this past week. Or you might put it this way, God comes to set things right in our world by turning the whole world right side up. Indeed, we might think of the cross as the matrix, as the matrix point where humanity's no to Jesus, crucify Him, meets Jesus' disruptive yes to humanity, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And by raising Jesus, God vindicates Jesus' challenging yes to humanity and shows that nothing will ever be able to overcome it. Now, you may have noticed that on this first Sunday of Advent, our scriptures don't just focus, 
our attention on past events, but also on future ones as well. In today's apocalyptic reading from Mark 13, Jesus tells his disciples about another advent, about his final coming at the end of history. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And so Jesus says in verse 33, keep alert. And then in verse 35, keep awake. And in just in case we all missed it, in verse 37, again, keep awake. Wake up. This brings to mind the uh, an expression of our African-American sisters and brothers these days, and that I heard at our Thanksgiving dinner table last week, to become woke. To become awakened means to no longer be numb or distracted or sleepwalking through this life but instead engaged in our world and actively participating in what God is doing in it. The day is coming, Jesus is telling us, when He'll return to set right all that is twisted and distorted in our world to bring good news to the poor, to undo the empire's machines of permanent war, to set aside tax systems rigged in favor of billionaires and corporations, and to usher in God's reign of shalom. Is that good news or not? And so, this Advent, what we're trying to do is deepen our yes to God so that that message doesn't fill us with fear or dread, but with joyful hope and expectation. We want to align our lives so much with the life of God that that coming day will be received by all of us as wonderful news. You know, our Bible closes with the cry, Come, Lord Jesus! It's not one we hear much in the North American church. But I remember hearing it often when we lived in China back in the 90s and I traveled to visit rural congregations in the Chinese countryside. In fact, I love it that the second word there in the yes at the very top is sure, yes, in Chinese. When we were there in the 90s, the church was just emerging from many decades of terrible persecution and still experiencing much harassment and abuse from local officials. Ju Yesu Kwailai, come Lord Jesus, they'd say giving voice to their deep 
longing for Jesus to come and set things right. For Jesus finally to come right every wrong. You know, this fall, our nation's cascading sexual harassment scandals. From Hollywood moguls to news anchors to leaders in Congress and all the way up to the White House. These scandals have been turning our world upside down. And notice, this is very important, notice how our nation's Me Too movement right now has been incredibly disruptive and disastrous to some, to the high and mighty but also vindicating and redemptive and liberating for others, the innocent and the vulnerable. That's what I'm trying to get at here. In the same way, our Lord's final advent will also be disruptive and disastrous for some and healing and liberating for others. Nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, Jesus says in Luke 8 nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to light. And so the key, dear friends, is for us to so align our lives with the life of God that we'll be able to greet our Lord with joy and gladness. Because we've been spending our whole lives We've been trying to spend our whole lives to be a part of God's yes to the vulnerable in our world. So friends, let us all be working this year to keep Christ in Christmas. Words that you may have seen on a billboard near the McDonald's by McCaskey. Now, I don't mean what I think people often mean when they say, let's keep Christ in Christmas, which often means forcing people of other faiths or no faith to say Merry Christmas to us. That's not what Christmas is about. Keeping Christ in Christmas, dear friends, is instead about spending this season sharing with those in need. Visiting the lonely. Celebrating with loved ones and standing with the vulnerable. You know, we sometimes pretend that it's possible to say yes to God in one grand moment. But the reality is that our heart has many rooms and that we can only 
surrender them to our Lord as we discover those places ourselves. So this Advent season before the Christmas rush overtakes all of our lives, I hope that hasn't happened yet, we want to invite you to take up a simple candle lighting practice in your homes. You can find it in your bulletin to help all of us move to a fuller yes to God. Maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, maybe at a shared meal, just light a candle and ponder alone or together a few questions. How are you being called to say a fuller yes to God in your life? How are you being called to participate in God's yes to somebody else? And is there a no that you may need to say in order to get to that fuller yes to God? There's a powerful temptation in this season to just focus sentimentally on a sweet baby Jesus who is adorable but asks nothing of us. But God, dear friends, God needs people who, like Mary, will say yes and offer our lives as spaces where Jesus can be born into this world. God needs faith communities like East Chestnut Street who are saying yes and making room in our lives for the coming of Jesus into our world. Amen.